So the last game the Packers played, they learned that if a defender stops them for a touchdown in a cheap way with a horse collar tackle, it costs the defender $13,000. They also learned that if the safety headhunts their rookie tight end, it's going to cost the safety four games in suspension. Let this be a memo to the other NFL teams. The Packers kind of suck right now. You don't got to play dirty to win. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Lombardi Time Bruiser. I'm your host, John Delray. I know some of you are already thinking, please wipe that smile or grin or smirk off your face because the Packers suck. Yeah, all right. I, I get it to an extent. So let's start off right away with some news. Injuries. Uh, there were multiple injuries in the game yesterday. And per Matt LaFleur's press conference this afternoon, the status of many of those individuals is still up in the air. What we do know to this point is Christian Watson appears to be good to go. He said in apparently the locker room today that he feels as though his scans came back clean and it's just a matter of getting him back out there. However, a team source did tell Rob Domofsky of ESPN that the injury suffered by Darnell Savage is a restrain of the calf injury he already suffered, but it's it's an aggravation. It's more severe than the initial injury, and he's going to be missing multiple weeks, if not an IR stay for Darnell Savage. As for Luke Musgrave, Devontae Wyatt, Eric Stokes, no updates at this time. So let's go into actual reaction from this game. First, if you joined us on our watch party, thank you. It was a very, very good time. Even in even in times of losses, those of us who are there still managed to have a good time. So I encourage you, if you haven't yet, come check it out one of the coming weeks. But let's just start here. Okay, Matt LaFleur, not getting fired this week. Jordan Love, not getting benched this week. I don't think the Packers are going to make some massive trade with the trade deadline coming up on the 31st that's going to bring in some new Pro Bowl player to really shake things up. None of those things are going to happen. It's just not coming. But there is something large, really two things that I think the Packers can do to improve their status for the rest of the season. And before we really get into the big changes, let's talk about the one shout out that I have to give today. And that goes to running back A.J. Dillon. 15 carries for 61 yards. 60 of those 61 yards, according to PFF, actually came after contact. He also lumped on two catches for 34 yards. But realistically, most importantly, he truly looked closer to being who he is supposed to be. Yeah, at times he's still very inconsistent behind the line. Sometimes he just shoots through like a missile. Other times he gets the ball and then dances and decides which way to go. The only problem is he uses both of those approaches sometimes at the wrong time. And that's less than ideal. But still, this is a very, very encouraging performance for a player who has struggled over the course of the last month. It looks as though he is returning to being the power back that the Green Bay Packers truly need at this time. Okay, now the bad stuff. All the get-outs, and there's plenty to hand out. Basically every phase of the football, basically every part of the team except for A.J. Dillon, really. Defensively, the Green Bay Packers had 13 missed tackles yesterday. The best scheme in the world doesn't matter, which, by the way, don't worry, they don't have that. But the best scheme in the world doesn't matter if you miss 
13 tackles against a team that can competently run the ball. And most distressing, even their best tackler, Quay Walker, he had a horrible miss yesterday, which led to a big play for the Broncos. Keyshawn Nixon, he had more missed tackles than he had actually accomplished tackles yesterday. The prominent run, like problem with the Packers' run defense to the season to this point has been an inability to set the edge. It doesn't matter if you set the edge if you can't actually perform football 101 and bring down the dude who has the ball. It seems simple, but for some reason, this is just so difficult to do for the Green Bay Packers' defense. By the way, in terms of Keyshawn Nixon, there needs to be a serious evaluation as to why he just got handed like full-time starter snaps on defense and why to this point it's continuing to occur. I mean, I know like if Stokes is due to miss time with that hamstring injury and Jair continuing to battle a back injury, they might not have the bodies to actually do anything about it. Like Nixon may continue being the nickel corner by default. But last year, he did some nice things in nickel coverage. He was above average for stretches, not all the time. And then that seemed to warrant just handing him the full-time job this year because there were no other alternatives. I just, I don't understand it. That needs to be a severe evaluation when they have the bodies to actually do something about it. Speaking of having the bodies, Eric Stokes, who in the sweet goodness made the decision to activate Eric Stokes coming off of a traumatic leg injury that's cost him nearly a year. They made the decision to activate him and then not give him a single snap on defense. Instead, they employed him exclusively as a special teams gunner. What? Like, why make that decision? If you're going to start Carrington Valentine anyway, it's because you don't trust Stokes yet, maybe because he's not back fully to being Eric Stokes, maybe because the health isn't completely there yet, then what are you doing activating him? Why? Why are you activating him just to have him go play gunner? And then, especially in terms of special teams, like at least if he's out there for defense, he's he's playing, he's moving his legs, snap in, snap out, right? It's not these long layoffs. Special teams gunners have the expectation of you're going to go chill for like a half hour on the bench. But then when you do come on the field for a single snap, you need to do it in an all-out sprint. Seems like a great idea to have a guy who hasn't played in a full year to make that his job of chill. All right, now use your explosive speed and go sprint. That won't lead to any further soft tissue injuries. Oh, wait, it did. He's got a hamstring injury now. Stop with this halfway thing with injuries. Aaron Jones, too. Activate him for the game and then give him 11 touches. Either he's healthy or he's not. Either the, they can play their position or not. Stop with this halfway. They're active, but kind of sort of active. They're on a pitch count because we like what they're doing, but we don't fully trust them yet. Stop it. They're healthy or they're not healthy. That's it. That's all there is to it. Looking at the whole picture of the defense, another get out has to be handed to defensive coordinator Joe Barry. Now, look, he's not the reason they lost the defense as frustrating as they were. They didn't give up more than 20 points again. They weren't great, but they still didn't give up more than 20 points. And if your defense doesn't give up more than 20, you should stand a chance to win the game. So overall, the plan wasn't the reason that they lost the game. But again, he didn't exactly elevate them to a place where the defense could command a win 
either. And part of it was because of these stupid little drop-offs that Russell Wilson and the Denver Broncos called repeatedly. I'm talking about those little routes where Russell Wilson drops back to pass and then the halfback just basically kind of runs around the trenches and then parks it right behind the defensive tackles, three, four yards out, parks it, turns to the quarterback and gets the pass on a very, very easy curl. It happened repeatedly yesterday. And I know in the first quarter, eh, you don't really care. It's a seven-yard gain for the Broncos. That's nothing. We don't care. Second quarter, sure. Third quarter, sure. Fourth quarter, though, your team, your offense just drove down the field, finally has a spark going, takes the lead 17-16. And then what you need to do as a defense is come up with a stop. Get the ball back to your offense to either extend their lead or no matter what, no matter what, you cannot give any points to the Broncos in that situation. So what do they do again? Leave that route from the running back 100% open. I said on the watch party, the one thing that's going to kill the defense heading into this drive is death by a thousand paper cuts. If they allow the Broncos to do that, the Broncos will put up points and then the backers are in a lot of trouble. And that's exactly what happened. The Broncos came out, death by a thousand paper cuts, and those stupid little dump-offs that Joe Barry just refuses to cover is a big reason why. Okay. Offense. Offense. There's lots of get-outs to go around here, too. Mm -hmm. The last play is probably a perfect example of all of them. In a crucial situation, Jordan Love displayed the worst traits that he has as a quarterback right now. We've seen them now through six games. Look, there's still a lot of hope for Jordan Love. Lots of evaluation to be done. I'm not out after six games of watching the guy play. But we can talk about what are his worst traits right now. And what we can say with some pretty good certainty is ball placement or accuracy, right? That's certainly issue number one. And then issue number two, realistically, is in crucial times, he makes some baffling decisions. That last play, really, really good example of both of those things. It was a terrible throw that was wildly off the mark. And it also wasn't a good decision to throw it at all to where he did. On the wide receiver end, you've got Toure. Why are we throwing a potential game-winning pass to Samari Toure, by the way? But even down by the goal line, when the pass is coming from Love, drastically underthrown, you've got another young wide receiver, just like against Vegas, who doesn't fight, who doesn't turn, who doesn't shove the corner out of the way, who doesn't take the penalty, whatever. The one thing you can't do as a wide receiver in that situation is allow an underthrown ball to actually be picked off. And we now have seen it. Two games in a row where the wide receiver allows that to occur. Yes, the throw by Jordan Love is a problem. I'm not saying it's not, but his wide receivers can help in making sure that it's not a game-clinching interception for the other team. And this is now two games in a row that we've seen it being game-clinching interceptions. And on the play-calling side, Matt LaFleur, what the hell was that? It's third and 20. It's third and 20. Why are we calling a 45-yard like post to the corner of the end zone to Samari Toure? Right. And like after the game, I get it. Like you can go back, you can watch the all 22. Like you see, you see the thinking. Like there was a glimmer of hope there. There was a millisecond where Toure had a corner one on one. He was streaking towards the end. He was open. Right. Okay. So like you can see that. But just because a wide receiver gets open doesn't mean it was a perfect play call. Like I get it. Okay. But the throw was so bad, the safety had ample time to make the play, Toure didn't do the push, whatever. But from a play-calling perspective, it's third and 20. You don't need 45 yards. There's plenty of time on the clock. Also, it's third and 20 in this part of the game, okay? 
if you don't want to kick the field goal because Carlson missed a 43 yarder earlier in the game and you still don't trust your rookie kicker, even though he had been perfect on the season up till that point, fine, fine. But then you know that you have third and fourth down to get 20 yards. You don't have to get all 45 yards on third down. You don't have to get 20 yards on third down. You just got to move the ball forward. And instead, we get this hero ball Hail Mary crap to Toure. It was awful. Now, in terms of the actual decision-making from Love, it also was acknowledged after the game that not only was that Lafleur's play call and design, it also was Lafleur telling Love where to throw the ball before the ball was even snapped. And, and Matt Lafleur told Love to go there. Love did as the orders were. Bad. All the way around. And Jordan Love, I... I'm not excusing him. He does have to know the situation. Again, if you're a quarterback, it's third and 20. You have ample time on the clock to operate multiple plays. So, yeah. So now we're getting to the two big changes that the Packers have to start implementing on offense, in my opinion. Number one, get new players in. Matt LaFleur said in today's press conference that Dontavian Wicks needs more snaps. He needs more play. Matt LaFleur, I don't know if you've checked, but you're the one in charge of that. Do it. <laughs> it seems that easy for the head coach, right? But there also needs to be some alterations made on the offensive line. Coming into the year, Josh Myers and John Runyon Jr., by most data points, were guys that were above average in pass protection, but average to below average in run blocking. We knew it. Last year, the line still worked just fine. But... Both players have regressed massively this year to not even being strong in pass protection. John Runyon Jr. alone has given up 10 pressures this year. Myers, six. Hell, even how about Elton Jenkins? He, after even missing some time, has given up six pressures. He needs to start playing like Elton Jenkins that we know and love again. Okay, but the real problems here, John Runyon Jr. and Josh Myers. But even beyond that, left tackle, let's look at Rasheed Walker. He's leading the team with 13 pressures allowed already, including three yesterday. One very early in the game in the first quarter that completely broke a play on the first drive because he just straight up got pushed backwards. If you follow On the Block, the podcast hosted by Mike Wall, former Packers offensive lineman, he said that it actually is a snap count issue that Rasheed Walker started off the game unaware of the snap count, late on the snap count, whatever, it was wrong. Rasheed Walker was bad. And these are issues that have to be cleaned up. As for Zach Tom, he actually finally looked healthy at the right tackle position. Again, knee injury fully recovered. He actually had a very nice game yesterday. Nonetheless, though, it's time to change some things. I get from an organizational perspective, you may want to evaluate Rashid Walker all throughout the course of the year. David Bakhtiari out for the rest of the year. Very well done, possibly, as a Green Bay Packer for the rest of his career. You've got this young guy full of potential in Rashid Walker. Let's play him. Let's see what he's got. And now it's been five weeks of seeing what he's got. And he seems to be, in a lot of ways, regressing. And unlike other players who are regressing on the offense, namely the quarterback, you can't say, well, the operation all around him is awful. Now, left tackle, you really can't say that. He just straight up is regressing. Earlier in the year, I supported leaving Zach Tom at the right tackle spot. Why mess with what's not broken? He was doing great. Sure, the interior had its issues then, but it wasn't like it is now. Now, though, the game is different. It's time to shake up that offensive line. By the way, what did Yash do? 
to like deserve this absolute exile. Yeah, Josh Myers left the game for a little bit yesterday. Yash came in. I know Yash got burned on the very first snap that he played. That's not at all uncharacteristic for a guy who's cold coming off the bench and into the line. But like on the grand scheme of things, they gave him a second round tender. They're paying $4 million and they're only putting him in if Josh Myers gets hurt in spite of all of the other injuries on the line. Royce Newman played above him earlier in the year rather than doing a reshuffle. Like it's, I don't get it. And I'm not sure anyone does, but moving forward, realistically, it's time. Try Zach Tom, kick him into center. Let him be the stabilizing force in the interior of the line, partly what Elton Jenkins is supposed to be. Try switching Rashid Walker to right tackle. See if he's better served over there, generally against a tinge slower of pass rusher. And then put in Yash at left tackle, where he experienced a lot of success last year. In terms of Myers, maybe try him at guard. See if he's an upgrade over John Runyon Jr. right now. I think he very well might be. Regardless, sometimes you do have to change things just for the sex sake of change. Like, I, I, I get it. Like, normally that's a foolish errand. But sometimes it has to happen. And this certainly looks like one of those points. Number two, this is another change that has to happen on the offense. Matt LaFleur has to, at this point, has to give up play calling. I'm convinced after the last two years that Matt LaFleur is a better offensive architect than he uh, is someone who actually executes a game plan on game day. So moving forward, do that. Be the architect. It's your system. But we've seen a tendency from LaFleur over the years to be really slow to adjust in game, right? Not just offensively, but even relaying to other position coaches. Like We've heard about this for years, relaying to other position coaches that changes need to be made, relaying something to Joe Barry that he wants to see a change occur mid-game. It's always been slow. Well, what's part of the reason for that? Probably because Matt LaFleur has his face stuck in the play sheet, where I think he could be a very good game day CEO. Most advanced analytics actually have Matt LaFleur as a very good decision maker when it comes down to it on game day, including when to go for it on fourth versus not, when to kick the field goal versus not, et cetera, et cetera. All those decisions, Matt LaFleur normally ranks pretty high in that regard. So let him be the game day CEO and hand off play calling duties, hand off his system that all the other position coaches Monday through Saturday are in charge of implementing in the players anyway, hand it to them and allow them to call the plays. As for who it should be, I don't think we know the assistant coaches well enough to say with any certainty who it should be. But Ben Sermon's the running back coach. He certainly comes to mind. Maybe this is the chance for Stenovich. I know Stenovich has a very negative reputation right now, and I very much get it, but he was elevated to offensive coordinator. Matt LaFleur made that decision too. Or maybe it goes to one of the other coaches. Regardless, whoever does take over play calling, if Matt LaFleur does and should hand it off, it better be someone who isn't afraid. It better be someone who's going to get rid of calling a halfback dive to be the immediate play following any time your team has any type of offensive success. Because we've seen that so much. The team finally starts playing off schedule, gets into a rhythm, lots of quick stuff, right? And then what do they do? Call a halfback dive and slow the whole freaking operation to a grinding halt so that A.J. Dillon can run for a yard. It better be a play caller who's not going to do that again and again and again and again. And it better be someone also, too, who's not willing to script as much as Matt LeFleur does. The numbers are out there. 
Now, I didn't quote them here in their exactness, but like if you want to go look them up, yesterday Jordan Love was a superior quarterback well after the script was complete. He was a better quarterback under pressure and doing play action than he was when the pocket was clean. What does that tell you? Tells you it's probably a young quarterback who's overthinking things. Tells you it's probably a young quarterback who needs to get on the move in order to get into a rhythm. And you know what? One last thing too. Throw the ball over the middle. The throw graphs are out there. The last couple of weeks, Jordan Love has just stopped throwing to the middle. Whereas against the Bears in the preseason when the offense experienced more success, the middle of the field is a very key component. Now we basically just throw it behind the line of scrimmage or right in front of the line of scrimmage, but always to the sides. What happened to the middle? That's supposed to be the Matt LaFleurian offense that we were promised. So can we go back to that? And is it going to kill someone to just run a slant once in a while, maybe? Matt LaFleur needs to give up play calling duties. The Packers need to shift their personnel alignments offensively. As for the defense, learn how to freaking tackle. Do all that. And maybe this team can start winning some games again. This was another very, very frustrating week. As for everything else, as for everything I didn't talk about, it's all the same stuff. Drop it into a rhythm, right? Tackle, set the edge. It's, it's all the same stuff. And the Packers just cannot get out of their own way in order to actually fix it. So it's time for some large changes, but reasonable changes not firing and benching everyone. Thanks so much for checking out Lombardi Time Brews on Wednesday. I'll be going live. Let's do a midweek live again. Check in Q&A. Let's hang out on Wednesday. Then Friday, a game preview for this upcoming matchup of Packers versus Vikings. Thanks so much for being here. And as always, Go Pack Go!